Welcome to the ILO Employment Policy Department's podcast series, Global Challenges, Global Solutions, The Future of Work. I'm your host, Tom Netter. In many ways, digitalization has made the world of work a better place. Rapid developments in technology have spurred enormous growth in productivity and incomes and big improvements in many people's lives. Digital technologies have advanced more rapidly than any innovation in history, reaching around 50% of the developing world's population in only two decades and transforming societies. Technology can help make our world fairer, more peaceful, and more just. It can also support growth and productivity, create jobs, and generate income so individuals can earn a decent living. But we also face a paradox. Many groups of workers, in particular those who are disadvantaged and marginalized, such as women, older persons, and persons with disabilities, face challenges associated with unequal access to digital technologies that are compounded by the lack of capacities to use them. This lack of access to modern technologies has been even more pronounced in lower income countries, rural areas, and emerging economies. Other factors such as digital literacy and skills levels may further widen the gap. This episode examines the digital divide, identify who's benefiting from it and who's not, and hopefully offer some solutions for closing the gap. Joining me today to address this are Professor Balaji Parthasarati of the International Institute of Information Technology in Bangalore, India, and Matteo Sostero of the European Commission's Joint Research Center. Balaji, Matteo, welcome to the program. My first question is whether the spread of technology has been consistent across the globe. Can you provide some insights on this situation, especially regarding the impact on vulnerable groups such as women, the elderly, persons with disabilities, and residents of impoverished or remote areas? And can you assess the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic? Balaji? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Technology does not sort of spread naturally in any sense of the term. And the spread of technology really depends on how we take advantage of it through various social and economic means. And uh, digital technology in that sense is no different. And here, when we talk about social and economic means, we're really talking about who are the dominant groups in society and so on. As a consequence of that, uh, we do have physical places, uh, social groups who tend to get left out, who are not seen as necessarily being as relevant to the dominant groups. It's about issues of power. And thus you have people who are historically vulnerable, get left out. And then even, you know, when we talk about regions that are remote, the remoteness does not necessarily have to be in a distant jungle or, or a desert. But even in dense cities, you find pockets left out of various kinds of infrastructure. It might be water supply, the internet, and so on, simply because they're no, not seen as being particularly relevant. As a consequence, the answer is an emphatic no. The digital technologies have not spread uniformly or ubiquitously, as were often claimed. And you do have people who are left out. And as far as the COVID-19 pandemic is concerned, it was just sort of a double whammy on the most uh, vulnerable people and the remote locations. And uh, this is something that nobody anticipated necessarily, but I think it made a bad situation worse. Balaji, thank you very much for that response. Matteo, can you give us some of your insights? Well, I agree with Balaji that across the globe, uh, it's certainly the case that large shares of the population, including the economically disadvantaged, the elderly, 
and marginalized socioeconomic groups may not have reaped the full benefits uh, in their quality of life that technology can provide. And even within the EU, uh, we see that there remain relatively wide gaps in terms of digitization. So, for instance, uh, according to the Digital Economy and Society Index, which is a set of indicators collected uh, by uh, the European Union, in some member states, over 20% of the adult population reports not having used the internet in the previous three months, whereas the EU average is around 10%. And in most places, this figure, not having uh, used the internet in the previous three months, is uh, higher for women than in men and certainly higher for the elderly. Now, uh, the COVID pandemic has acted certainly as an incentive to increase the spread of digital technology, but in many domains, like, uh, for instance, even online access to government services, uh, it may be too early to tell whether the effect is permanent or not. Uh, more importantly, I think the pandemic has also accelerated some changes in the patterns of work, uh, which we may discuss later. Okay, Matteo, let's continue. Now, in terms of the future of work, new technologies are also creating new forms and patterns of work making some obsolete, and leading to broad changes in societies. What are some of the new forms of work emerging? Uh, well, I would say that technology has enabled rather than created new forms of and patterns of work. I mean, there's also been concerns that technology uh, writ large, including robotics and artificial intelligence, may lead to large-scale displacement of certain jobs. Personally, I believe that such concerns are uh, a bit overblown. I mean, there is little evidence of that happening and certainly not on a large scale, as our research uh, has shown. What we do tend to see uh, is that technology can increase the productivity of work. If this happens because people use tools that help them in their daily life and work, that is certainly welcome. And also we saw that technology has enabled the rise in the remote work or telework. Uh, so in our research, we have shown that as much as a third of the EU's population may, in principle, work remotely. Uh, this change has certainly been accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic, which has led to the first remote work experience for many employees. Of course, this pattern of digital work is not available to every type of job, uh, which could further exacerbate the so-called digital divide. But I would say that the most salient form of work enabled by digital technology is the rise of digital labor platforms, where people can buy and sell many on-demand services, such as ride-hailing, deliveries, but also creative freelance work. Okay, thank you. Let's go to Balaji. What are your views on this question? Yeah, I mean, new technologies have uh, always led to new work patterns and uh, new occupations. And as a result... You know, certain older ways of doing things have always become obsolete. Uh, and if you take a step back and think about why it happens, it has to do in part because of our very different or it even changes our perceptions of space and time. So let's see, you know, what are some of the new occupations that we're talking about today? You know, 50, 60 years ago, you wouldn't have had things like a web designer or even a Python programmer as being part of the mainstream labor market. So you have a whole bunch of these new occupations that are starting to come in and how we connect to different parts of the world to get work done, uh, either through global supply chains or through outsourcing, offshoring, etc., has gone through a significant change in the, in the past uh, half century. 
because uh, digital technologies are what are called general purpose technologies, besides being a new sector, they're also affecting existing sectors, like, for example, education, healthcare, or how we deal with the government and the state. But I think, uh, like Matteo said, uh, sometimes, you know, these predictions tend to be overblown and they seem to be uh, uh, made in sort of very binary terms, like, you know, it's either all digital or nothing. But actually speaking, if you take a domain like, say, education, yes, uh, you have the arrival of MOOCs and such like, which can play a very useful role in expanding uh, educational opportunities for a number of people. But when people start to make arguments like saying that this completely renders the old form of education, universities or schools obsolete and that they will all vanish, I think it's, it's very, very highly exaggerated. So we're going to see new forms of work, new patterns of work, new occupations, which will actually require us to think about how to effectively take advantage of the potential that these new technologies offer, along with the original purpose of some of these activities, whether that be education or healthcare. Okay. Well, in this context, Balaji, I wonder if you could address the matter that the rise of digital labor platforms or web-based platforms, on the one hand, may be a good thing but on the other hand, may be accompanied by several challenges. What are some of these challenges? Who stands to gain and who's at risk of being left behind? Uh, yeah, thanks. This is like a, a burning question today. And I'm doing a, a lot of work here in India on how these platforms affect, particularly blue collar workers. Uh, white collar workers are in a better position thanks to education and a variety of other social resources to take advantage of the rise of web-based platforms and the platform economy. However, when it comes to blue-collar workers in sort of local labor markets, the story can be quite different. Really, you know, you have these platforms that, you know, which are run by a small group of people who are essentially, call them a managerial elite, who in turn employ a large blue-collar workforce whom they refer to as sort of partners or, uh, you know, entrepreneurs even, right? Now, to some extent, these platforms in a place like India where there's widespread under or unemployment are providing new avenues for uh, the delivery of certain kinds of services and so on. But unfortunately, this so-called partnership is a very unequal partnership between platforms that have deep pockets, phenomenal technological might, and relatively you know, undereducated or uneducated workforce with uh, limited social resources. And it's an atomized workforce because many of these guys are working on their own as individuals. So they often tend to get exploited. They work long hours without necessarily the kind of the monetary rewards. Uh, the work conditions can be quite appalling uh, in the sense that they have to you know, do their deliveries or ride their cabs or whatever it is in, uh, in, in very harsh conditions. There's uh, little to no collective bargaining because they're all operating as individuals. And there's also another issue that is of uh, a growing concern in all of this. These technology platforms are able to aggregate not just customers and, you know, the suppliers of the service, but they also aggregate significant amounts of data about the workers, the customers, and so on. And we are still not in a situation where we have clear-cut regulations, at least in a country like India, as to what it is that we are able to do or what is it that we're going to be able to do with, with, with all this data. And this is opening up a number of difficult and hard questions, right? Who owns the data? What happens when a, when a person works on a platform and then goes away, you know, in six months because, you know, he or she is just a partner? So there are questions about the work conditions that many blue-collar workers are 
facing. There are questions about what is going to happen to the data that is being collected about them. And the lack of regulation is probably the most disturbing thing. I know across the world, these concerns are sort of universal. And in parts of the world, there have been some battles that have been won. But for the most part, I think uh, there are many hard questions that we need to uh, answer. Thanks for that quite interesting response. Now, Matteo, what's your perspective on these challenges? Uh, so I agree with Balaji. Uh, in general, the flexibility enabled by digital technology has given rise to uh, the so-called gig economy, uh, which denotes a trend towards a more casual form of work. Now, this trend has benefited some workers, uh, for instance, uh, freelance professionals who can reach a broader set of clients across the world. And even when goods and services are delivered in person, uh, such as ride hailing, delivery, or on-location services, some people who didn't previously participate in the workforce use digital labor platforms to find occasional work. However, there's a big caveat that uh, we all have also seen that this new form of work risks undercutting the legal framework concerning pay, working hours, privacy, and the security of workers. Uh, my colleagues at the Joint Research Center have been at the forefront uh, of measuring the extent and variety of platform work in Europe through several editions of the Colleen survey. And this type of evidence has informed uh, the European Commission to develop regulation on digital labor platforms. And lately, we're also concerned that some of the business practices developed in the platform economy, uh, which can feature somewhat intrusive levels of digital monitoring and surveillance of workers uh, can expand to traditional workplaces. So in particular, we are researching the extent and variety of so-called algorithmic management. So Matteo, I think that brings us to the final question, which is, in order to narrow the digital divide, how can policy help support this transformation? And can digitalization and new technologies be the great equalizers? So I think there are several uh, dimensions to the spread of technology, and in particular, digital technology. And uh, the first one is obviously physical infrastructure, like broadband and mobile access, but also the spread of affordable and powerful connected devices like smartphones and tablets. But what matters ultimately is what people are able to do with technology. That depends both on their level of digital literacy and skills across different population groups, but also on the progress in design and user interfaces of software itself, which makes it more accessible to a broad set of users. And this enables uh, people to buy goods and services online and to receive public services from the state. And last but not least, as we have discussed, uh, uh, there's the use of technology at work, including digitalization of processes in enterprises and the creation of new business models and forms of work. Now, I think that public policy can help in all of these areas uh, and with the goal to reach universal access to digital tools and services. Now, uh, technology, as is often said, is, is neutral or rather depends on how it's been implemented. And in order to ensure that digital technology has an equalizing role, uh, there is scope for regulation to guide the development of digital services and devices. And this should be done with a goal to ensure that digital technology is not used to undermine personal rights, including privacy, autonomy, and the personal dignity at work. Thanks, Matteo, very much for that question. Now, Balaji, can you share your insights on policy issues? I think uh, it would be good to start off with a couple of misconceptions that we uh, seem to have about uh, what policy can do or what it is doing. 
I, I don't know who used the term, but there's uh, a scholar who used the term access doctrine, where there's an obsession with saying, get the technology out and then people will figure out what to do with it and their lives will improve, etc. But uh, as Kentaro Toyama, a professor at the University of Michigan, has uh, famously put it, uh, technology only amplifies existing inequality. So even if you get it out to the people, get them access, it's not necessarily going to solve anything, right? Instead, I think what we need is to build institutional uh, capacity uh, because uh, this whole notion of a digital divide really is the most recent manifestation of a whole set of other divides and inequalities, right? So, for example, in India, that you can think about it in terms of, you know, caste, and religion, and class, and, 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 you know, of course, gender, physical disability, and so on and so forth. So, in other words, these pre-existing inequalities and divides simply manifest themselves differently with a new technology. What this also means is that if you need to overcome the so-called digital divide, we have to start right there, right? And as I mentioned earlier, uh, when we talk about existing uh, sectors, you know, like education or healthcare or governance, where technology is bringing about certain changes, it is built on existing ways of doing things. And when people who have had, because they're on the wrong side of divide, not have, have not had access uh, to education and so on, to merely expect uh, that uh, digital technology will automatically provide them access is, I think, wishful thinking. So really, uh, what we need to be doing is to understand and attack some of the underlying problems and by all means make use of the potential that digital technologies have, but don't expect it to be automatic, right, in some sense. If we do, bridging the digital divide, if I may say, will simply prove to be a bridge too far. I'd like to thank you both for your insights and comments, which are extremely interesting and relevant. From our interviews, it's clear that technology has vast potential to improve people's lives. But there's a risk that what should be a force for social good can become a force for social exclusion and worsen existing inequalities. What we do know is that we're going to need new policies that help us keep up with rapidly evolving digitalization and new technologies. Can we leapfrog the hurdles to realizing this goal and harness the potential of digital innovation so it works for all? From what we've just heard, it seems that with the right approach, we can start to narrow the digital divide. I'm Tom Netter, and you've been listening to the ILO Employment Policy Department podcast series, Global Challenges, Global Solutions, The Future of Work. For more information, go to www.ilo.org employment. But for now, thank you for your time. <laughs>